Thanks for joining us as we explore the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. For discussion guides and details about how to join us on Sundays, please visit fairoaks.org. Good morning to you. Good to see you. Uh, hello to those joining us online. Glad you're here as well. Uh, if you got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Mark chapter 4? Um, in our home, there are certain topics that you can bring up that are going to get a very mixed reaction. I don't know if your home is like this, but I'll give you one example uh, from our recent uh, interactions as a family. Um, if you bring up the idea of a dog, you're going to get four very joyful people in my house. Uh, like, let's get a dog. That's going to be met with uh, joy, excitement, which I think is right. Dogs are fun. Dogs bring life. Dogs teach a sense of responsibility to children. Like, this was a big part of my childhood. I don't know. Do we have any dog people here? Yeah, dogs are awesome. Um, and, and yet, uh, for as awesome as dogs are, if you bring up that topic, there are some people that would not meet that with the same kind of joy. Any people that are not dog people, you can own, raise your hands. It's church. It's okay to be honest here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, for, for those of you that aren't dog people, you can pray for Karen because not all people meet the idea of a dog with the same joy um, that the rest of us do in our home. You know, some people are practical and realistic and they understand that with a five-year-old and a couple of three-year-olds say, we'll take care of the dog. They know what that really means. Uh, so if you bring up the idea of a dog in our house, it's going to get very mixed reactions, some joyful, some terrified. And what we've seen in the Gospel of Mark so far is actually it's a lot the same with Jesus. Um, if you're new and just joining us, we're in this series in the Gospel of Mark, which is one of four biographies of Jesus's life in the New Testament. And uh, man, I mean, Jesus at the start of Mark, he bursts on the scene preaching good news. He proclaims, hey, God's kingdom, uh, which is everything you've ever longed for, the world where everything operates as it's made to be, God's kingdom is invading our broken world to make it new uh, in Jesus Christ. And so he shows up on the scene preaching uh, objectively very good news. Uh, and he's not just all talk. Jesus goes on from preaching good news to demonstrate good news with his miracles by healing people and and restoring what was lost in the fall um, by lifting up the marginalized, by casting demons out of the oppressed, um, by forgiving sins. Everywhere Jesus goes, life is getting better. He's proclaiming good news. He's demonstrating good news. Um, and all of this sounds pretty good, right? But at this point in the narrative, if you've been with us, you've seen there, there are differing reactions to Jesus. Some people would say, right, that's good news. They leave their life behind and they radically reorient their life to have a new life revolving around this Jesus. But other people, um, they hear Jesus proclaiming that the kingdom has come. They see him pushing back darkness uh, and they don't receive it as good news. Uh, they actually reject Jesus. They critique Jesus. They begin to plot Jesus. Jesus's murder. And so, um, and, and I mean, how much more so? We started off talking about a dog. How much more so is it good news that God's kingdom has come into this world? And yet, even with something as objectively good as that, we're seeing differing reactions to Jesus. And the question we're going to talk about today is why? Why is it um, that some people, when they meet Jesus, they say, you're the answer to everything I've ever longed for. And other people, when they meet Jesus, they say, you're the problem with everything in the world. And, and certainly it's not a problem limited to the first century. I mean, this is going on in our lives today. Have you met someone that's had a differing reaction to Jesus? 
right? You could divide our world today up into those two categories. Some people see Jesus as the answer to all the problems. Other people see Jesus as the cause of all the problems. And maybe some people just don't have an opinion, don't really care about Jesus. Uh, What we're going to look at today in the text is why is someone that is so um, good and beautiful and everything we need, why is it causing these differing reactions in the first century and in our world today? And if we could be really honest, for those of us who would call Jesus Lord, uh, I think this qu- text is going to beg the question of us, why is it that even for us that love Jesus, when we come to church, sometimes we feel moved, God speaks to us, and we walk out of here in greater freedom, and some mornings we come here and we go, I'm not sure that I get it. I'm not sure that I see how this is relevant. Why do even followers of Jesus have differing reactions to Jesus? And all of that is going to be what we look at in the Gospel of Mark this morning. Are you ready? All right. Yes, someone's ready. Thank you. All right. Mark chapter four, starting in verse one, says this. Again, he began to teach by the sea and a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat on the sea and he sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables and teaching them. He said, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it and did not produce fruit." Still other seed fell on the good ground and it grew up producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. So what Mark tells us is the crowds continue growing. Uh, Last week we saw this, the crowds are coming from all over and the crowds continue growing. And so what Jesus does is he gets into a boat And he sets out from the shore and he begins to teach the crowds. Uh, We don't know for sure where this was, um, but archaeologists have kind of found an area in this region of Galilee um, where the, the shore would actually perform some form of like amphitheater function where commentators will say you could speak from a boat and the amplification off the water up into the hills would allow you to speak to thousands at a time. And so that's probably why Jesus gets into a boat and starts teaching the crowds here. Um, But what we do know for certain, we're not entirely sure where he was. We do know what he teaches them. He begins to teach in parables. Now, Mark will tell us in verse 33 and 34 that teaching in parables is one of Jesus's favorite teaching techniques. So this is a a big deal. Mark's going to tell us about Jesus's parables today. This is a big part of the teaching ministry of Jesus. And so as we get in, I want to give you just a definition for parables because people can get really weird about parables. Let me just give us a working definition we can have in mind as we look at the text today. And all this, by the way, is in the worship guide. So if you go to fairoaks.org slash guide, you'll have it there if you... Um, would rather do that than take notes. Um, A parable 
is an earthly story using everyday scenarios to describe heavenly realities. So a parable is an earthly story. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to tell stories from common everyday life. He'll talk about um, losing a valuable coin or losing a son, or um, he'll just talk about things that happen in life. Like the parable of the Good Samaritan is probably one of his most famous parables where someone uh, gets into trouble and then different people walk by and have opportunity to help him. So he's going to tell these common everyday stories. Um, They're earthly stories. They're involving everyday scenarios, but what they're meant to do is to tell us about heavenly realities. So when Jesus talks about the lost coin or the lost sons or the good Samaritan, he's using these everyday pictures to tell us about what his kingdom is like, what heaven is like, what the world we were made for is like. And that's the point of Jesus's parables. He's using, they're basically sermon illustrations where he says, here's what my kingdom is like. Here is the life that you are made for. This is what is invading our broken world. Um, That is what the parables of Jesus are about. They're, They're meant to illuminate and clarify the truth of his teaching ministry. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come, the parables show what does that look like? And so these things are meant to um, illustrate, to illuminate, but they don't have that effect for everybody. Look with me at verse 10. It says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. Is anyone uncomfortable with that? Like just really honest, like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I like that. Um, that's a hard verse. They, they come to Jesus and, and they say, hey, what's the deal with these parables? And Jesus says, oh, I'm speaking in parables so that some people will receive the secret of the kingdom, that they'll understand my kingdom better. But for others, it's going to have the opposite effect. It's going to turn them off and cause them to walk away. That's why I'm speaking in parables. Because if I didn't use parables, that wouldn't happen. And Jesus, he says, I'm speaking in parables to reveal the kingdom to some, but those on the outside the parables are going to send them away. And, and that's, that's Jesus' parables. They have this dueling effect. And look, I, I know it's confusing. I know, um, I know you can look at that and say, why would Jesus want to send people away? I know there's some tension here. Like, why would he speak in a way that would lead people um, to walk away. And yet I think what we need to do when we have a hard question like that, like why would Jesus say that? I don't fully understand that. I'm not sure if I like that. We need to humbly submit it to scripture and say, what are you trying to tell me here? Because God, I know you're good. And, and if you ask that question, I think the context tells us why Jesus is saying this. Um, remember, we said the crowds are growing, right? And, and we talked a lot about the crowds last week. These are people who are intrigued by Jesus, but they're not yet committed to Jesus. They're there to see maybe what they can get from Jesus, but they're not necessarily looking for a relationship with Jesus yet. And so as the crowds are growing, Mark specifically says that the crowds are growing. As they're growing, Jesus begins to speak in parables. I would submit to you what's going on here is that the crowd, like we said last week, it's a mixed bag. Some are there because they really want to meet Jesus. Others are there because they 
just want a free lunch. And what Jesus does is he begins to speak in parables to start start to filter out the crowd, to take the people that are there to really um, receive God's kingdom, to really receive the restoration of our broken world and cause them to lean in and to understand that mystery better. And to take the people that are just there for a free lunch, that don't care about God, don't care about his kingdom, don't want to care about God and his kingdom, and to send them home because Jesus doesn't want to waste their time. And, and I, I would tell it, I would go so far as to say that I love this about Jesus because um, so often what can happen today is we can say, oh, I'll get serious about my faith when I get older. Or maybe once I'm more established in my career, maybe once I start having kids and it, it always gets kicked down the road, the can gets kicked down the road, but then I'll get serious about Jesus. In the meantime, I'll show up in the crowd on Sundays. I'll be there. I'll kind of be involved. I'll be interested, um, but I'll really get serious someday, someday, someday. And what Jesus does to the crowd is he presses the issue now. He says, your life is too important. Uh, I love you too much to leave you in this spot of complacency and this spot of neutrality. Jesus wants people to either love him or hate him, but he doesn't want to leave people in this weird kind of awkward in between that follows the crowds around everywhere and has no opinion. And so Jesus begins to speak in parables so that those who um, are looking for rescue are looking for redemption would lean in and find clarity. But those that are there and ultimately not interested in what Jesus has to offer, that they would go home and not waste their time. Jesus speaks in parables to filter the crowd, and to really press the issue with people to say, are you looking for redemption or are you just looking for little ways to tweak the life that you're already living? And and the parables are a perfect way to do this because parables by their very nature cause some to lean in and cause others to be hardened, to walk away, and to turn off. And so here, here's what I know at this point. Some people will hear that, even that, and say, I don't like this. Um, the, a couple years back, I was preaching on this parable, um, and I had a woman in our church come up to, up to me afterwards and say, um, Jesus would never speak in a way that would turn others off. Jesus would never knowingly speak in such a way that it would lead people to reject him. And my response was basically like, did you read the text? Did you read verse 12? Like, I'm not making this stuff up. We're just trying to make sense of what's in God's word. Um, But as as we got into conversation, um, and maybe with a few years of maturity on me now that's not so um, snarky, um, I, I could simply say, I think her concern was, it sounds fatalistic to say that parables are going to make some see Jesus more clearly and they're going to make others reject Jesus. Because that could lead to the conclusion that, okay, well, I hope they have a good effect on me because if not, what can I do about it? And so I don't know if you're feeling that way right now. Like that sounds fatalistic. It sounds like um, there's nothing I can do about it. And if you feel that way, let me clarify, that's not what Jesus is saying. Um, Because the parable that he just told is designed to teach us how we can be the kinds of people that receive the kingdom of heaven, that receive the kingdom of God as the parables are spoken. Uh, The parable of the soils, or sometimes it's known as the parable of the sowers, um, in that way, it's not just a parable, it's kind of the parable. 
Uh, This parable teaches us how can we be the kinds of people that when Jesus speaks the mysteries of the kingdom, that we receive it and that we are transformed by it instead of being the type of person that is turned off by it. And that's what the parable of the soils is designed to do. And so um, if that's where you're at going, um, man, I, I, I kind of hope I end up on the happy side of this, that I can receive Jesus's parables. Then listen up as Jesus now explains the parable of the sower, because um, this is where we learn um, how can we be the type of person that receives the secret of the kingdom of God. Look with me at verse 13. Jesus is going to explain this one. Then he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Uh, In in other words, like I said, this is the parable to understand all of them. Um, So he's going to take some time to help them really get this one. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes away and uh, takes away the word that was sown in them. And others are like the seeds sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no roots. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seed sown on the good ground, they hear the word and welcome it and produce fruit. 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. So if you're wondering, why are people having differing reactions to Jesus? And why do I sometimes have differing reactions when I open God's word and listen to what he has to say to me? And this parable is the answer to that question. Jesus says, um, there are four types of soil that represents four heart conditions. And the first thing I want you to notice is the word is sown in all four types of soil. So lest we fall into fatalism, like this gal in my church was saying, it sounds like, let me clarify. Jesus doesn't say, so go and sow the seed amongst those that you think are good soil. Jesus says, God sends the sower to send the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done to everyone, to anyone who will listen. That's why we want to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. It's our job to sow the seed. And from there, the differing reactions will come based on the heart condition of the person listening. And so Jesus outlines four heart conditions. Let's just look through them um, and and try to see this as a grid for how's the condition of my heart? What is the soil of my heart like? Jesus outlines four different heart conditions that will lead to four different reactions to the good news of his grace entering this world. The first is the seed that is sown along the path. Uh, This represents a hard heart, kind of like Like the path that we walk on here, it's pressed down from people walking on it. It's hard. It's difficult to penetrate. And so when the good news of God's kingdom coming to invade the brokenness of our world comes in to this heart condition, someone with a hard heart, um, they go fist up. 
They say, what do you mean God's kingdom has come to invade this broken world? I'm already living in the kingdom of God. I am living in life in perfection. And who is Jesus to come in and try to tell me what's going to lead to my flourishing? I think I know better than Jesus. This is what a hard heart does. And so when the good news of God's grace comes in, a hard heart will go fist up and just straight up reject it and say, I'm not looking for a savior. I don't like the things that Jesus says. I think I'm doing an okay job running my own life. And the, the seed that is sown along the path, it can look like outright rejection like that, kind of fist up, just hard heart. I'm not, I'm not open to receiving redemption. I'm not even looking for it. But it can also look like, in my experience, um, seed that is sown along the path can also look like this. Tell me if you've ever heard this. Um, I'm so glad that works for you. Has anyone ever said that to you? Like, oh, I'm so glad that Jesus, like, I was actually a little worried about you. I'm glad that you found a philosophy and a worldview that's going to help you because you might need some help. This is what a hard heart will do. That'll say, you've got issues, I don't. And so if Jesus helps you with your issues, God bless you, um, but I'm doing okay over here. So that's the first type of soil. And what Jesus says is it's like hard soil that is resistant to receiving anything new. And so when the gospel word lands on a hard heart, Satan comes in and snatches it away and it's totally unfruitful. It doesn't produce anything. So that's why some people reject Jesus. But outright rejection is not the only way to miss Jesus. Look at the second type of soil. You have the rocky soil. Um, now, uh, I don't know what comes to your mind for rocky soil. Uh, this is not describing soil that has rocks in it. Um, in, the, in the agrarian culture of the first century, um, what this is describing is a thin layer of soil on top of bedrock. So you'd have a thin little layer of soil on top of this sheet of rock, and that's what the first audience would have heard here. So um, the rocky soil represents a shallow heart. Rocky soil is shallow soil. And so the second soil, it's talking about a shallow heart. And so here Jesus says, when the gospel is sown um, to someone whose heart is in the condition of being shallow, um, it bears some fruit at first. It, it, it grounds and it doesn't have to dig real deep. So it springs up real quick. But the problem is when difficulties come, it dies away because according to Jesus, it has no root. And um, I, in my years of ministry, this is one that I feel a particular pull around. Um, I've preached at a lot of summer camps over the years, and I've seen kids just raise their hands and in worship say like, yes, Jesus is awesome, and then go home and come down off the mountain. And if there is no root, it withers away. And so I've seen a lot of this. I feel the burden of this one because, um, and I would say this was even my story until God really got a hold of me, that there would be this, um, oh yeah, come to church, go to camp, see Jesus, this is great. And then you go off and you're on your own and you don't have anyone else's faith to kind of um, learn from and watch from and it's just you and Jesus. But if you don't actually have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't have depth, if the gospel hasn't touched your heart, it's only touched the people around you, then you fall away. And some of you, this is your story as well. And what I want to point out here is that Jesus's concern is the root. He's not saying you're a shallow person, like uh, you need to read more and be, uh, have more depth to your soul. What he's saying is the gospel has never penetrated to your heart. 
And so you might know some facts about God, but what Jesus has done has never touched the deepest longings in you and the deepest desires in you. Jesus is just kind of sitting there on the surface as a means to an end. And the problem is when trial comes, Jesus isn't a very useful means to an end anymore. You get mad at Jesus for allowing trial in your life. And the problem is not that trials will come. The Bible will say elsewhere, hey, you're going to have persecution in this life. This world is a broken, messed up place. The problem is that when trials come, this soil, this heart condition doesn't have any root. The gospel has never touched the heart. And so Jesus is just a means to an end. When push comes to shove, you downshift away from Jesus because you're frustrated he's not meeting your end anymore. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, how are your roots? Has the good news of what Jesus has done touched the deepest longings of your soul? Or is it something that's just kind of sitting on the surface and seems useful to get the stuff you already want? Jesus says the gospel word, it's meant to penetrate, it's meant to put in roots. And if there's a hard, rocky layer preventing that, um, you're not going to experience the fruit that the gospel is meant to produce. You're not going to have the reaction to Jesus that you will want to have. Um, then there's a third type of soil. We read about the thorny soil. Um, this one, I would say it represents a distracted heart is probably the best way to say it. You see this in verses 18 and 19. Um, and at first, again, just like the last one, this one starts off well. Um, but because there's thorns and there's weeds in the soil, um, as fruit begins to crop out, um, the, the thorns and the weed in the soil, they choke it out and they kill the plant and they stop fruit from being produced. They stop the kingdom from bearing its fruit in this soil. And Jesus lists three things that can do this. He lists the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Now, I don't think that's meant to be an exhaustive list. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's describing things that we can be so preoccupied with that we miss out on the gospel, that... Um, we can be so preoccupied by other things, we can miss out on Jesus, even though we're around spiritual things and spiritual people, we can miss out on it because our attention is grabbed by these other things. And again, I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but I want you to think back to last week as we're looking at the names of the 12 disciples he picked. We learned that one of the 12 is Judas Iscariot, that Mark says, who will betray him. That, that's where this thing's heading. And I want you just to think, put yourself in Judas's shoes for a moment, okay? You're not going to be asked to do that often, but put yourself in Judas's shoes. This is three years before the events that will make him famous. Jesus goes up onto a mountain. He's proclaiming good news. He's pushing back darkness and he calls and he calls the 12 by name and says, come follow me and I'll make you become a totally new person. Do you think Judas is sitting in the crowd going, um you know what, I think I'm going to follow him, leave everything I know, so that three years from now, I, make, I might make like 20 pounds of silver, 20 pieces of silver. Do you think he was that calculated, going, hey, I see potential. I think this guy could get somewhere, and someday I could sell him out. Some of you are harsh on Judas. I don't think he was thinking that. I think what's far more likely the case is that he had a distracted heart. Um, the Gospels will tell us that over the years, Judas began to steal from the money bag, 
So we can begin to picture together something that Judas is somebody that I would say the deceitfulness of riches choked out what Jesus was doing in his life. And so rather than producing fruit, being around Jesus hardened him and it made him betray Jesus and walk away and end his life very miserably. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It's not that Jesus was lacking. Look what Jesus does for Peter. And Peter's got some real issues. Look at what Jesus says for John. And that brother has some real issues. It's not that Peter and John are better than Judas. It's that Judas had the thorns in the soil of his heart and it choked out the gospel. And for you, I mean, living in an affluent country, I think we always have to be on guard is, are the deceitfulness of riches keeping me from God? Um, But for you, others, it might not be that. It might be this. You want to talk about a distracted heart? It is so hard to live alive to Jesus with this thing dinging at you all the time. That you just don't have a spare moment. Like uh, that you just move from one thing to the next unless there be a moment where you reflect and talk to God and hear from him while you're waiting in line at the grocery store. You've got to pull down Facebook to see what's going on in the world because you can't stand to have a moment of quietness in your soul because if you did, he might want to talk to you and who knows what's going to happen. And so this is why I say, I don't think it's an exhaustive list. I think what Jesus is saying is there are things in our life that can just choke out being with Jesus. And if they choke that out, we're not going to experience the transformation that Jesus promises. And, and then, and so that's the third soil. And then you get the fourth soil. This is the happy soil. This is the one, some of you are like, this is a real downer so far. Okay, well, look at soil number four. We get some good soil. And uh, what Jesus said is this final soil, it is good soil, it is tilled soil, it is ready to receive the seed so that when the word is come, uh, it receives the word, it drinks it deep and begins to produce um, a miraculous harvest. Jesus says that when the gospel lands in a soft heart, that's what the good soil represents, when the gospel lands in a soft heart, in receptive soil, soil that doesn't, soil that doesn't go fists up and say, who are you to tell me I need rescue? But soil that with open hands says, I do need a savior. I do need rescue. I do want to live more life than this. I do want you to lead me and guide me and be with me. When the gospel lands in a receptive heart like that, it produces a supernatural harvest. Now, some of you, I I think many of you are probably not farmers, Um, although some of you have home gardens. Um, So I'll tell you what I read in a commentary because I'm not a farmer. Uh, But I I guess apparently the average crop yield would be like five to 10 times what you plant. That, That would be like a killer. You'd be writing books if you could get like a 10 times yield on your crop in the first century world. You get a book deal on that one. And what Jesus says is when the gospel word lands in the soil of a soft, receptive heart, it produces fruit 30, 60, 100 times fold. And so some nerds that like don't understand like a sermon illustration, they go, wait, Jesus, that's factually inaccurate. You can't produce 100 times fold. It's like, well, I think you missed the point. I think what Jesus is saying is it will produce a supernatural harvest, a harvest that would amaze people and say that can't possibly happen. Jesus is saying that's what happens when the gospel comes into a receptive heart that is open to the things of God and ready for rescue. And so, I mean, my question to you is, do you want that? 
Do you want a supernatural yield that people would look at your life and go, that's impossible. I don't know how that happened. He had issues and he's changing. Like she was messed up, but ever since she met this Jesus, like she's becoming a new person. Do you want that? Do you desire that in your life right now? And if you do, then let's look at verse 21, because I heard it said one time that a parable is like a joke. You look for the punchline. And what we have here is the punchline of this parable. So if you want to experience a supernatural crop, I guess it'd be a supernatural harvest, huh? If you want to experience supernatural change, look with me at verse 21. Here's the punchline. He also said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there's nothing hidden that will, uh, that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. That's the second time Jesus has said this. He's a good preacher. He, re, uh, uh, he restates his point. So it really gets in there. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Jesus, he shifts briefly from the analogy of a, a seed to uh, an analogy of a lamp. And he says, when a light is shining, is that something that's meant to be hidden or is it something that's meant to shine light on darkness? And I can imagine he was at a real charismatic church. So they were like, shines on darkness, Jesus. It's meant to shine. You put it on a stand. And what he says is that's the whole purpose of the word of God. That the word of God is meant to shine light into the dark areas of our heart um, to show us Here's what Jesus has come to bring instead. Here's the life Jesus has for you instead. The way that Hebrews chapter four says it is that the word of God is living and active and it separates the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It just exposes us. It reveals what's going on in us. So we might say we have these noble reasons for our actions on the outside, but then um, scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit will come in and say, here's what's really going on in your heart. That's what God does. What Jesus says is the word of God, it's meant to shine a light in your heart. It's meant to expose you. It's meant to confront you. So if, if you're feeling confronted by this sermon, you're like, why are you coming after me? That's what scripture is meant to do. It's meant to expose those parts of our lives that aren't yet submitted to Jesus, that are living for less than what he would have for us. It's meant to expose the parts of our life that are experiencing less than the flourishing in Jesus's kingdom. It's meant to expose us. The question is, what do you do when it exposes you? Do you go fists up? You say, how dare you expose me? Or do you respond to what the word of God exposes in you? Jesus, he says it this way. He says, pay attention to what you hear because with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And to the degree that you don't do anything with what you're hearing, it's gonna erode the soil of your heart. So let's come back to this analogy of the four soils, because this is the punchline of that whole parable. Um, if you've ever done any gardening, you know that good soil 
It's not something that you till once and then boom, it's done. I never have to work the soil ever again. Good soil needs to be tilled and prepared and tended to, to receive what you're going to plant in it. And then it needs to be cared for in different ways in different seasons. Uh, and, and that, you know, once you produce your harvest and you take all of that to market, you get the soil ready again for a new season. See, good soil needs to be tended to. And what Jesus is telling us here is, here is how you tend to the soil of your heart. Here is how you um, till the soil of your heart to be soft instead of hard, to receive what God wants to do instead of to miss what God wants to do. And what Jesus says is the way that we tend to the soil of our heart is by paying attention to what we hear, by using what we hear. Because Jesus says, for those that respond to what they hear, they're going to hear more and it's going to produce a bigger crop in them. And for those that don't do anything with what they hear, that open their Bible and God says something to them and they say, oh, I'm late for work. I don't have time to deal with it and just never come back to it. For those that come and gather with God's people for worship and hear from God's word and say, that's really great. And then leave the parking lot and never think about it again and never do anything with it again. Jesus says, if you do that, you will slowly erode the soil of your heart. So pay attention to what you hear. When God speaks, respond to him. Put it into practice. Put it into action. You're not going to do it perfectly. Jesus doesn't see be perfect with what you're here. He says, when you hear something, respond to God. Have a relationship don't say, that's nice. I'll file it away for later. Do something with it. Because according to Jesus... We till the soil of our heart by responding to what God says. And in a similar way, we harden the soil of our heart when God speaks to us and we say, not now. And, and so I was thinking about this week. I'm like, every day we are making decisions to soften the soil of our heart or to harden it. We are making decisions that are going to make us more receptive to what Jesus wants to say to us and do in us and receive his grace, or we're going to make ourselves more hardened to it. And Jesus's encouragement is to pay attention to what you hear. That when the word of God comes to you, receive it and put it into action. Let it shine its light on you and do something with that light. Do not waste what God is saying to you, because if you consistently waste what God is saying to you, it's going to harden the soil of your heart. But when you tend to the soil of your heart, when you put into practice, when you respond to what God's saying to you, then, according to Jesus, you will reap a great harvest. Again, not because you're awesome. I hope you saw this with Peter, James, and John earlier with Judas. It's not that this soil is good and that soil is bad. The idea is that good soil is soil that's talking to Jesus, that's responding to the promptings of his spirit, that's, um, that's having a relationship with God. And it's not because you are awesome that you get a great harvest. It's because God is awesome and that is what the gospel does. And that's where Jesus kind of lands this whole plane here. Uh, verse, you're still able to turn your Bible pages. Join me in verse 26 here. Let's look at this. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises Night and day, the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. 
The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then a full grain on the head. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or of what parable can we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed that when it was sown in the soil, it's the smallest of all the seeds in the ground. And yet when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. And he was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand it. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. So Jesus ends this kind of discussion of parables here uh, with two more parables about really an explosive harvest. Uh, the first parable is about the mystery of it all. He says the farmer sows the seed and he doesn't know how, but while he sleeps and while the ground is watered and the sun shines, somehow the things grow up. He doesn't know about photosynthesis yet. He doesn't know how. It's this mysterious process that this seed, it's powerful. And when it's sown in good soil, it boom, it grows up into this great harvest. The second parable is about how a great harvest starts off small. It starts off with the smallest seed that they could think of, and yet it grows into this giant tree. This goes back to um, the parable of the soils in the 30, 60, 100-fold harvest. That I think what Jesus is saying at this point in the narrative is, hey, don't be too concerned that some are rejecting me, and it looks like our movement is going to have mixed responses. Because my kingdom, it starts off small. But what my kingdom does is it grows with a type of growth that comes from God that no one knows how to explain. They don't understand how it happens, but it grows and it grows and it grows. So it goes from 12 followers in the Middle East to taking the entire world where there are billions of people that claim the name of Jesus is Lord today. And I mean, that's, we've seen this parable in action that the kingdom of God starts small and yet God brings a type of growth for those who will respond and receive his good news that can turn the world upside down. And so Jesus' disciples don't have to fret that some are not digging Jesus because what he's saying is that in these small moments and these unexpected moments, that is where God does his best work. That is where my kingdom will do something totally unexpected to renew, to bring new life, to bring healing and redemption. And I think the point of these final parables is to drive home this idea. You don't change your heart. God does. You don't produce a crop in your own life. You don't produce the transformation. You don't overcome your addiction. You don't become a more loving spouse or friend or neighbor. You don't become a better citizen in all of these ways because you say, I'm going to try hard to be better. That's the hard soil that rejects the gospel that Jesus came to do for you what you could never do for yourself. According to Jesus, we experience an abundant supernatural harvest as we receive the gospel world word that God has invaded our broken world to die in our place for our sins and rise again and give us something we could never achieve for ourselves because we were that messed up. We couldn't do it. 
when you receive that gospel word with open hands that says, Jesus, I want you to do for me what I can't do for myself. God is the one who you won't know how. It'll seem slower than you want it to seem, but over the course of your life, you're going to zoom out and see that that good news will burst forth a supernatural harvest from your heart that makes people say, God is great. And so in light of that, I just, I want to ask you this question because the gospel is that real, it is that good, it is that powerful. So the question that this parable begs of all of us, I want to ask myself this question, is how do we need to tend to the soil of our heart today? How do you need to tend to the soil of your heart? And how do I need to tend to the soil of my heart? Because the gospel is powerful and it can change our lives. And the last thing that I would want for you or for myself is that our hearts would be too distracted to experience that good news. So how do you need to tend to the soil of your heart this morning? Are there any distractions in your life? Are you growing your roots down deep? Are you um, leaning in when God speaks to you? Are you putting into practice and responding to what he's saying? Or is it in one ear, out the other? Is it, I'll get to you, maybe summertime, Jesus, when my life slows down, then we can talk. For, for some of you, you might even be saying like, I don't even know where to begin. The soil of my heart is so um, filled with other things. It's so hard. It's so distracted. It's got so much junk in it. Um, I don't know what to do. And if that's where you're at this morning, I just want to encourage you with the good news of the gospel. Um, that God has not left you alone to tend to the soil of your heart. Um, that, um, I think the best way I can explain it is yesterday I was in my yard doing some work with a, a friend. And uh, we were digging up my entire yard to plant something new. And so um, we're in there and there's things that I can't pull out with my shovel. I have tried. And so this friend brings over an excavator, which is just a wonderful piece of equipment that goes at our junipers, which um, I, I don't know if you have junipers at your house. I think Satan was in the Garden of Eden sowing junipers. They are so hard to get out. They are so ingrained and in there, but I couldn't get it out. But the excavator comes and lifts it up and it's, it was just a piece of cake, just ripped it out of the soil. And I'm like, thank you. And, and I would submit to you that that is a picture of the Christian life, that as we tend to the soil of our heart this week, remember, God's not left you alone to do this. That God, the Holy Spirit, has been given to us by Jesus to form a new heart in us. See, Jesus comes to die in our place for our sins, to bring us back into relationship with God. And as he has ascended at the right hand of the Father, he fills us with his spirit who begins to work new creation in us, who begins to soften the soil of our heart, who can be like the excavator that can rip up things that we say, I don't know how to rip up on my own, but Holy Spirit, there's this thing over here. Can you make me good soil? Can you soften the soil of my heart? Because I promise you this, I can tell you from experience, that is a prayer that God loves to answer. And so as we're considering how do you need to tend to the soil of your heart, don't forget to talk to God. He, if you belong to Jesus, his spirit is in you and he will love to till the soil of your heart. And so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to put this in to action. We're going to do what we've started doing every week. We're going to spend some time responding to the word of God, paying attention to what we've heard so that God might 
get the gospel more deeply into our hearts and work a type of harvest that starts off small like a mustard seed, but grows and grows and grows so that this entire community could one day rest in its shade. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for being a God of redemption, of healing, of grace. Um, Thank you for sending your son to save us from our sins, to give us hope where we wouldn't have hope. And and so I pray uh, in his name right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fall on this place, that you would um, soften hearts to see Jesus clearly, that you would make us a receptive people, that you would till the soil of our heart, that you would break through the hardness, that you would rip out the thorns so that we might receive the truth of your good news this morning more clearly, that we might get the gospel more gospel more deeply in us, and that our lives might produce a type of harvest that brings you great glory for the redemption that you've wrought in us. We love you. We ask you to do what only you can do right now in the name of Jesus. Amen.